0: My name is Wes Biggers, and you are listening to Pivot in Place. Before I get into the meat of this week's episode, I want to do something that I try not to do. I don't like the persistent need to forward quippy sayings, pictures, memes, etc. on social media, but I read some wisdom that resonated with me. Sometimes, being a business manager... It is easy to lose empathy with others, especially during a time of crisis. Sometimes it's easy to fall into too much empathy with others in a time of crisis. I have fallen into this trap in the past. I'm not particularly proud of it, but I'm human, and I wanted to acknowledge that this is part of my personality, and being aware of it, I can try and alter it. At one time, I was working with a private equity firm, preparing to acquire a company that I would lead after the acquisition. In preparation for that, I spent time doing research and reading various books about cultures that are different from my own experience. I came across an author, Patrick Lencioni, who has a series of books, one of which is titled The Advantage, Why Organizational Health Trumps Everything Else in Business. For the record, I highly recommend this book. I am on Mr. Lencioni's email list from his firm, The Table Group, and received some advice I'm reading this directly from that email. First, be exceedingly human. By that, I mean you should demonstrate your concern for the very real fears and anxieties that your people are experiencing. Not only professionally and economically, but socially and personally. Even though you don't have definitive answers to all of their questions, don't let that keep you from listening to them and empathizing with their fears. And, contrary to conventional wisdom, you should not be hesitant to share your own concerns with your people. They want to know that they can relate to you and that they are not alone in their concerns. Second, be persistent. This is not a time to hold back. Send people updates and regular communication, even if there is not a lot of new information and the message is largely personal. No one will look back at this time and say, my manager was so annoying with all the encouraging emails checking in on me. When people are isolated, over-communication is more important than ever. Finally, be creative. Try new things. Call semi-regular video conference meetings that allow employees to not only talk about work, but to share their experiences dealing with this situation. You can have them share movies and games and other tools that they are finding to be helpful with their families, and invite them to tell stories about what is going on in their world. Crises provide an opportunity for people to come to know one another and establish bonds that will endure long after the crisis is over. So, as a summary, be human, be exceedingly human, be persistent, and be creative. At our nature, we are social creatures. Many of us look to our workplaces to provide that social interaction on a regular basis. You can still be that solution for your people, even if you have put them on furlough. You want to make sure that they know you are still thinking about them. Okay, if you have been listening to the previous episodes, you know that the focus of this podcast as a whole is to be looking beyond the current situation and looking to the other side or how you can pivot your company right now so that you are stronger and better positioned to recover on the other side. You don't need me to tell you that the current situation is changing all the time. Every day we get new news. What I'm trying to focus on is the temporary nature of what is happening and that, with proper planning and foresight, we, the business owners and managers, are the instrumental key to recovery. But we have to be acting today with the perspective of what we will need to do when this all ends. If we just act for how can we last as long as possible in this situation, we are not acting with survival. We are not acting with forethought of recovering on the other side. We have to be acting today with perspective of what we will need to do on the other side. This current situation is temporary. It is a dramatic, perhaps the most dramatic economic impact that has ever hit humanity as a whole, and I look forward to all the economic insight that will come from retrospect. But, unlike the depressions and recessions of the past, we know that this can be a short duration. This contraction is not being caused by a pervasive instability in confidence, an erosion of confidence of how well we will perform on the other side of this. In fact, after such a test as these months are going to be, it is reasonable to presume that the companies that are still here on the other side in a short-term perspective are the more resilient and therefore make up the constituents of a stronger economy, which therefore justifies a stronger economic condition on the other side and justifies more economic confidence. With that in mind, I say with confidence that we are the backbone to which the muscles of economic recovery are anchored. If we act now in a responsible way with foresight, planning, and deliberation, we are going to make a stronger economy than we had going into 2020. Today, in a bit of a roundabout way, I want to tackle the question of how you should be approaching this unique period in our modern history. As I was listening to the flurry of information flowing around, I heard someone refer to the Stockdale Paradox. Given that I'm a naturally curious person who always likes to learn, and that I had the time available, I did my brief research, at least enough to spur on some thoughts about this week's show, and I had to stop to put my thoughts down. The Stockdale Paradox was the survival mindset that Admiral Stockdale had when he was a prisoner of war. It essentially states that survival requires you to acknowledge your situation and balance optimism with realism, to grasp both the positive and the negative at the same time. Hence the paradox, how can you see something as both good and bad? Being a person who focuses on the actions I can take, I think about the Stockdale Paradox this way. To survive through the toughest, most challenging times requires you to think positively about what you can do to overcome the situation and face the worst possibilities of what may happen. Notice the difference between the two ends of the paradox, or, in my opinion, what resolves the paradox. It's the focus of each perspective. The optimism must be applied to that which is in your control, And the fatalism must be applied to that which is out of your control. As I said, think positively about what you can do. Face the worst possibilities of what may happen. While we are in this temporary situation, should you rest and recover? Or should you work twice as hard? Do you want to rest and hope for the best? Or do you want to stress out because you are expecting the worst? I was having a conversation with a friend the other day about the ripples through our economy that are going to happen. We've talked briefly about this before, but my layman's perspective goes something like this, and please bear in mind that I'm not an expert in economics. What I see is that the rate of growth or decline in the economy is an indication of how much confidence the public has on future prosperity. That is usually looking forward into an indefinite period with a large question mark about what may be coming and our resilience to survive it. While the pandemic certainly is one of those things that has come, we know that it is temporary. Knowing that gives us a great deal of control if we can keep the short-term profit-takers at bay. From that, we know that there is an upside, the recovery, and that it's coming in the near future. And when that upside hits, because we have been diligent and insightful business managers, we have planned our recovery, which means that in bulk, the economy will recover relatively quickly. Shouldn't that fact alone create a positive confidence in what is coming? Knowing that everyone is dealing with the same pandemic, there are ways that we can all help each other. If you are having to turn down the volume of your business, but you are properly planning for the recovery by reserving resources, wouldn't it make sense to go to your customers and do what you can to help them do the same? Don't you want that customer to be able to increase their purchasing volume rapidly when we get to the other side? So isn't it in your best interest to come to unique terms with that customer regarding any liabilities that are regularly due to you. For example, let's say you are a commercial landlord, and you know that one of your tenant companies has had to significantly cut back on operations during this period. You know that the business manager is a solid, foresightful person, but they tell you that they can't make rent this month because their volume has gone down. You now have a choice. On one hand, your vendors are expecting you to pay the money you owe, and you need your customers to pay you as well so that that money can move forward. On the other hand, you know that this tenant is a solid company, and they have several years on their lease that are likely to extend. If you push them to pay money now, they may not have the recovery resources needed on the other side, and your need for short-term payment will cost you long-term stability. Not only that, if that happens across the board, we are all sacrificing long-term success for short-term payment. Does that make sense? It is a lose-lose situation. On the other hand, because we are wise business managers with foresight and deliberation, we all realize that perhaps we can make this a win-win situation. Instead, you tell your suppliers that you are being intelligent about controlling your resources so that you, too, can come out on the other side and have the resources required for the ensuing expansion. You strike an agreement with them that gives you the freedom to also extend benevolent terms to your tenants so that perhaps their rent payment is in line with the amount of pre-pandemic business that they've shrunk or that they've lost. They're down to 50% of business, you charge them 50% of rent. You tell your, your vendors that you're going to schedule payments out. You're going to adjust how that money flows through our economy so that we are all preserving for recovery. Post-pandemic, your tenant is still a paying customer, and you are still a paying customer for your vendors. We need to think of this more like a volume control. The music that is playing is still the same music, It's just being played quieter. Our music, the commerce of day-to-day life, is still there. It just isn't playing as loud. That is the fundamental difference in this economic stress from times like the 2008 Depression. In that period, none of us knew what was still going to be there on the other side. An entire segment of the housing industry, which is a big cog in the economic machine, was broken and crumbling. But right now, nothing that we had before the pandemic needs to crumble unless we force it to. Rest, recover, and work twice as hard. You just may find that you are working towards different things. The actions for today are to evaluate your connections, both up and downstream, figuring out how to enable others to be there with you for the recovery on the other side. You can't recover by yourself. You need other people to be there, both as your suppliers and as your customers. Your job is to figure out how to make sure that they are there on the other side of this as well. That's action number one. Action number two, tell others about this podcast. Pass it on. And action number three, like or subscribe. I hope to see you next week. My name's Wes Biggers. Thank you for listening. This is Pivot in Place.